0: Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Nehemiah, the third chapter. As you're turning there, let me just uh, welcome some folks. We have a contingency from the Middletown Ribble of our Church of God. I want to welcome all of you that came up for the installation service, uh, some of our personal friends. Thank you for coming. Also, Crystal and I both have, uh, both sets of our parents are here with us. We want to welcome them. Uh, it. And then a mentor of mine, an individual that has meant tremendous amount in my life personally, uh, Reverend Vernon Maddox, who pastored the Brill Boulevard Church prior to me. I served with him for about three or four years. Uh, Vernon and Jan Maddox are here with us somewhere, and right there in the middle. So I want to welcome Pastor Maddox and, and Jan. And Pastor Maddox will be with us this evening. He'll be uh, sharing in our in our installation service. There's a guy I don't know if uh, well, I'm sure that you've not heard of him, uh, but uh, got a picture. If we could throw that picture up, a guy by the name of Stefan. Uh, he's trying to get his name in this book. This is the Guinness Book of World Records. He thought that if he could uh, set the new record for s- smoking the most cigarettes at one time. He's here, and he, this is a little homemade invention of his. He's trying to smoke 800 cigarettes at the same time. Now, if you look through, this is the 2007 version. If you look through this book, you won't find his name here. Uh, after he did this, he found out that the Guinness Book of World Records no longer takes, uh, I don't know what you'd call that, um, acts of stupidity um, <laughs> in, their, in, their, uh, in their book. Uh, he also tried to eat… Twenty-nine hard-boiled eggs in four minutes. He actually did it. Only later did he find out that you don't get your name in the Guinness Book of World Records uh, for acts of gluttony anymore. I don't know if you knew that. He also jumped 135 feet off of a platform, dove into a body of water, only later to find out that someone had… So the highest dive from a fixed point was actually done… It was 176 feet, so he was off by about 50 feet. So he's tried over and over and over to get his name in the Guinness Book of World Records. He's never been successful. Now, somebody needs to get our friend here a copy of the book and the rules. Uh, probably would help him a little bit. Uh, but he's trying desperately to get his name in the book. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah. We've been going through this uh, series talking about building God's vision, uh, For the church. And this is a chapter where it just has a bunch of guys that got their name, men and women, that got their name in the book. This is one of those chapters that if uh, you look at it, a lot of times we just kind of skip over it. We don't pay much attention to it. Uh, It just seems like boring reading, and so we just kind of skip to the next chapter to the meat. But there's really some meat. And so this morning, I want us, as we think about this idea that when we build God's vision, it is imperative that we build his vision with a team. That this third chapter is a list of the team. This is the team. The individuals that took that vision that Nehemiah had stood before the people that God had given him. And, and God had given him this vision of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he, had, uh, he said to the people, this is what God has, has, has shared with me. And, and they heard the vision And then they took, this team took that vision and translated it into reality. And this morning, I want us to talk together about what it takes for us to, just like they, take a vision and translate it into reality. We must do that as a team. And there's some observations from this third chapter that we're going to dig out as we think about that. The first thing, as we think about this third chapter, just look over it, just scan it. And there's Bibles in the pews if you don't happen to have one. And I would encourage you to take one out, even one of the ones. If you didn't bring your own, take it out and look with it, because we're going to re- be referring to this third chapter. When you just do a cursory glance at that, one of the things that you notice is just the tremendous variety of people that are listed that did work on God's, the, the wall that God wanted to build, this wall that surrounded Jerusalem. And so when we think about observations from the text, the first thing that we see is that God uses all kinds of people on the wall. And that should be an encouragement to us, uh, by the way. And so here we have Nehemiah. He gets this burden to rebuild this wall that God has given him. He shares this burden, and then all of these people make that burden into a reality as they begin to realize that they could be a part of this team, this very diverse team. Now, notice, let's kind of just check out some of the different people. Look at verse 1. What does verse 1 say? Verse 1 talks about the high priest and the fellow priest that by uh, start working on the sheep gate. The sheep gate would have been the gate closest to the temple. And so they, the priest, which would have been natural for the priest and the priest uh, men to, to work on that gate, that gate was the gate where the sheep would be taken and the other animals to be sacrificed in the temple. So what a great place to start. The, the place right by the temple is the first gate that they rebuilt as they would build the gates and then build the wall in between the gates. And so we have in verse, verse 1 the high priest beginning to work. It's always good to see the ministers and pastors working, isn't it? Is that good? Yeah, okay. Uh, Look at verse, uh, in between verse 1 through 7, and you see just some different kinds of people, some families and different individuals working. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, we've got goldsmiths. And perfume makers. Imagine the perfume maker. I don't know what a perfume maker looked like in his day, but I can just imagine a perfume maker uh, building a, this, this wall. So we've got the perfume makers. We've got then all kinds of different leaders from the, the surrounding area around the city listed. Then in verse 12, it says that there is this group of this ruler who was working with his daughters. Now, that was very significant. The way that women were treated in these, uh, these days uh, to have these women listed that they were a part of the team is a great encouragement. They were needed to, to do that work. Very significant that they uh, uh, were allowed to work. And so it's great to see. In verse 17, you see that the Levites, another Part of some of the religious uh, leaders began to work in verse 26. You've got the temple servants that are working in verse 28. You've got the priests who are working, again, a different group of priests in verse 29. You've got the guards in verse 32. You have the merchants, the business people are working. And so what all of that translates into is that we see in this passage some observations is that God uses all kinds of people to accomplish His vision on the team. We see that throughout the Bible that God uses all kinds of people. When you think about the individuals that wrote the different books of the Bible, you see a tremendous variety and diversity within those individuals uh, that actually wrote the Bible. And God does that today. As we look around, there is a tremendous diversity of people here. We are a team that have been charged with a vision to build God's wall, God's kingdom. The second observation that we would pull from this text is not only does God used all kinds of people. He also has a job. Everyone has a job. And that's what we see when this diversity, not just that they were on the team, but they did something. Every single one of them had a job to do. Some of them were building gates. Some were building some are building the walls themselves. And so we have the priests, you have the religious leaders, you have the rulers, you have the men, you had the women, you had the young, you had the old, you had the important people, you had the nobles, you had the not so important people. All of them working together, every one of them, realizing that, hey, I've got a job I need to do on this wall. Notice in this list that there are no professional wall builders in this list, there's no stonemasons. There's no, there's no wall union representatives uh, in this list. They were all people, regular people, that caught the vision of what God wanted to do through them, realized that they were a part and they had a job to do. Again, imagine the scene. Business leaders, priests, Levites, uh, perfume makers, goldsmiths, all working together side by side, each realizing, hey, I've got a job to do on this wall. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for your life. God has something He wants you to do. We must realize every single one of us has a job to do. Now look at verse 5. In verse 5, it says that the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The message translation says it this way. Except, <clears throat> and next to him, the, and next to him, the t- to coites, except for their nobles, who wouldn't work with their master and refuse to get their hands dirty with such work. Imagine, here we have the pretty people. The people that think they're too good to do work on the wall. You have them listed here. And that's the reality also, as we think about this text, is that some refused to do the work. So if you're taking notes, add that one in. Some people we see in this passage refused to do the work. They didn't want to submit to anyone else's authority. What does the scripture say? That they didn't want to put their shoulders to the work under their supervisor. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, was their attitude. We a lot of times have excuses, don't we, when God kind of taps us on the shoulder, you know, I'm too busy, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm, you know, it's someone else's responsibility, I've got other things I'm doing. How many Cub fans do we have? Got some Cub fans? Did you hear? First place? A game up, is it? Two games up? All right, thank you. My dad's a big Cardinal fan, he's mourning, what are the, what are the Cardinals back? A couple games? Three games back? Two and a half back? Something, uh, a ways back, anyway. Let me just read you a little something that uh, Rich Cohen, who, who wrote for Harper's Magazine, uh, he wrote this about the Cubs. He said that when the Cubs, Chicago Cubs last won the World Series, the year was 1908. Okay, you got that? How many people want to raise their hand now? How many Cub fans do we have? Okay, 1908. Was the last time. This is what he... Re- now, this is not my words. I'm borrowing his. Let me read you what he said. I would never be so harsh. Rich Cohen said this about the Cubs. The automobile was still a new and untrusted invention in 1908. In the years since this, they won the series, most of the European monarchs have, monarchies have collapsed. Two world wars have been fought. Communism has risen and fallen. The disco has come and gone and come again. Losing year after year, sometimes in the weeks, the last weeks of the season, more often in the middle of August, the Cubs have become a symbol of futility. The blind, never-ending hope of a hopeless people, and before his death, <laughs> Jack Brickhouse. Remember Jack Brickhouse? The great Cubs, by, Cubs play-by-play man excused the team by saying this, everyone is entitled to to a bad century. <laughs> Everybody's got excuses, don't they? Everybody's got excuses of why, <laughs> of why not to do the work. Some refuse to do the work. The next observation that we see as we look at this passage, observation that jumps off the page as you kind of read through this several times, is that many went above and beyond what they had been asked to do or what would be maybe normal to do. Uh, in this project, look at verse 27. Remember those the nobles of Tekoa didn't want to do the, any work. Well, the men of Tekoa, the hardworking men of Tekoa, look at verse 27. It says, "Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section." So they decided, you know what? You know the, the, the nobles of our of, in our group, they're not going to work, but we're going to do double duty. We're going to make up for what they are not going to do. They went above and beyond making sure that this wall is completed regardless. I think it one of the great encouragements that I've seen since coming here to First Church. Uh, an example of this is in our worship ministries. You've got Tim up here leading the in, leading the worship choir, working with the men's choir, working with the—we've got the, the other choir going, all of, all volunteers. You've got Lynn. You've got the great uh, worship leaders we had up this morning, and we got some worship leaders, we've got the band, all doing that, volunteer, come every Wednesday night, going above and beyond. What a great example of just like these men and women here in the third chapter, going above and beyond. I was in a staff meeting, we were talking about our three, uh, our going to three services. And by the way, let me just remind you of what we're doing. I should have done this at the beginning. October 7th, we start, we go back to our three service format. 9 o'clock in the gym, 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary, 11.15 again, again in the gym. That first service, there's not a children's ministry uh, going on, so if families want to worship together, they can. There, it's not a family worship service, so it's not geared just to families. It's for anybody, um, but, but there's just for the youngest kids is, is their child care. So, Again, 9, 10, and 11, 15. We were talking about that in our, in our staff meeting and, and talking about how that, that's going to be difficult for, especially for there to be two services in the, in the gym and, and what people are going to have to do, that, that, like the praise and worship team that's in there, what, you know, what that's going to mean to them. And Dan Dietrich said this, sitting in that staff meeting. He said, well, basically, you know, we'll just do whatever it takes. Because we were asking, you know, can you do that? Will that be a possibility? Because we're trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we make this happen? Whatever it takes. That be above and beyond attitude. And if that could get translated into every facet of the church, what would it look like if we had all of us, that above and beyond whatever it takes attitude? The next thing that we see, last observation from this text, is very simply that the reason that this vision became a reality is that they took ownership this group that we see here in chapter 3. They took ownership. They, they were tired of sitting around and, and seeing the wall like we have up here all torn down and destroyed. They took ownership. They had lived in this city for, for decades. And all around them, this rubble had been there. It's not like it had changed. This, the walls had been destroyed decades previous. And these other generations had just sit and just had decided to just live around all of the rubble. They took ownership. And instead of just waiting for someone else to fix the wall, when Nehemiah got up and said, you know what, God wants us to do this, they said, you know what, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to take ownership in that. God moved in lives, moved in Nehemiah, and then moved in this chapter 3, and we see that team building this wall. In First Church, God has a vision for us that we can accomplish if every single one of us will decide to take ownership of our piece of the wall. Now, when you think about God, and we think about God's vision for the church, God is bigger than walls. God is bigger than bricks and mortar. He's bigger than, and, and he's more concerned about, uh, about people, about us, than he is about bricks and mortar. He's more concerned about our lives and and our and our our joy, and our, uh, our eternal salvation. He's concerned about us. And we think about, we share, the, you know, that we need to work together and we need to build God's kingdom. It's not just that God wants us to just do something for him. What happens when we build his wall is there are benefits for us. And so it's not just, you know, God wants me to do something. No, God wants me to build this wall for my benefit as well. Let me share with you some things that, We realize that we get as a benefit for picking up our trowel and beginning to work on the wall. The first thing is that unity is built in our lives and with people around us. The first week I was here at First Church, I came up, and I didn't really know anybody very well. I can't remember if it was Art or who it was. gave me a picture, um, Lynn, who helps kind of coordinate the worship ministries here in the sanctuary, she, for some time, the, the hubcap, a couple of hubcaps had been missing off her car, and, and then some, some more had fallen off or whatever. And so she finally got some hubcaps for her car. They, the other worship people, stole the hubcaps <laughs> off her car and then went all around town and took pictures of her hubcaps in different places. <laughs> uh, there's one picture, I think Art said, of uh, uh, horse manure on the hubcap. There's a picture of, uh, with some big trucks. There's, there's some different pictures. In, and they gave me this picture and said, would you give this to Lynn? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know anybody very well. And so, okay. So we walk out. You know, that's the kind of thing you get when, not that people steal your hubcaps, but... But that kind of camaraderie, that's what, that unity that you get. Where else can you go and serve side-by-side? You you individuals that have gone on work camps and gone overseas and you've worked side-by-side with that person you didn't know very well, after the fact... When you get back, you're, you're forever you have a relationship with that person. Unity is built when we work side by side. And what kind of friendships and relationships were built in this third chapter with this team of people, this perfume makers and goldsmiths and priests and Levites and all these people that probably had never really associated too much before. Important people, not so important people. Working together, unity being built. The second thing that I would just throw out, The benefit of you getting to work on the wall is spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth will be fueled, will be accelerated when you begin to put your hand to the plow and begin to invest your life. When you begin to live out God's purpose in your life, you're going to be growing in your faith. The other thing I would throw out to you is that when you begin to work on the wall as part of the team... God's blessings are freed up in your life. God says, the storehouse of heaven, I've got the storehouse of heaven, and he wants to open up the storehouse of heaven and pour his blessings out on us. And obedience always comes before that blessing in our life. And so if we will live out our relationship, if we will will invest our lives, if we will put our hand to the the plow and work for God's kingdom— there's some great benefit. God's blessings are freed up when we walk in obedience to Him. And the last thing that I would kind of throw out when we, the benefit, when we put our hand on the plow and begin to lay bricks on God's wall is that lives are changed. In January In January, we're going to, first of February, we're going to go down to Paraguay and build a church building. It's not unimportant for you to, for some of you, they're going to take off work. You're going to go down, you're going to go down to Paraguay. You're going to, you're going to lay block. You're going to, you're going to do what is, in a lot of people's eyes, very menial work. But the end result is there's going to be a church building where the gospel will be preached. People's lives will forever be changed as a direct result of what you do. Those of you who work in a nursery every Sunday and you change dirty diapers, the result of that is some, maybe some young mother that is going through a difficult time that comes to church for the first time in her life, and she puts her child in that nursery, and you care for that child, and she can feel secure to come into a place like this, and she can hear God's message. Lives are changed as a result of what we do. Is there anything, any greater benefit to know that our lives matter for God's kingdom when we invest? Lives changed. What greater benefit could there be than for us to get up and begin to do our work, our part of the wall. Let me just, as we kind of conclude, ask just a question that I want all of us to ask of ourselves. As we try to kind of apply this third chapter to our lives, as we think about this team that God had built here, and that is a very simple question, and it is this. What do I need to do? Ask yourself that question. As you consider this third chapter, as you see the example in front of you, what do I need to do? The first thing that we need to do as we apply this is every single one of us needs to discover what our place on the wall is. If you consider First Church, this is your church home. This is the place where you get your spiritual nourishment. This is the place you'd call if, if your marriage goes south, or if your child has a, is, is put in the hospital, where would you call? What's the place that you would go to get some help? If it's First Church, then this is your church, and this is the place where you need to invest your life and help us to equip you. Maybe it's not within the walls of this church, but maybe we equip you so that you can do work outside the walls of this church, but if this is your home base, you need to find your place on the wall, and let us help you and come alongside you to find that place. Every single week, it seems like I come in and I hear of some other ministry going on outside of the walls of this church and inside the walls of this church. Whether it's Habitat, whether it's a jail ministry, whether it's the women's ministry that's collecting supplies and things so they can take to one of the disadvantaged schools in, in Benton Harbor. There are ministries going on within the walls of the church. And, what, you know, and we go on and on and on. Take out, you got, as you came in, a little sheet. looks like this. I ask our, our staff... If they could list for me, because I, I, I wanted to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I wanted to help you. Not just talk, you know, have our head up in the clouds, but this is a very practical little tool that we can use. Now, I, didn't, I, didn't know what's all, I don't know what's all going on in our community, so you could probably have a list this big or larger of opportunities for you to build the wall in our community. But this is just inside the walls of First Church. I want you to be clear, though. You do not just have to—God's work is not just done within the walls of the church. I want you to understand—please, everybody, understand that. Hear me. I'm not just asking this morning for us to get involved here at First Church. What is God calling you to do as we work together to build God's vision? This list is the list of places where the wall at First Church is broken down. These are critical areas that we need your help in to build the wall. And there are all kinds of things. There's, there's, there's places for, for if you like to work with kids or youth or, or older adults or places, you know, if you don't really like people and you want to just, you know, do other things and stay away from people. You know, there's opportunities for you. So please look this over and ask God, God, is there something that you want me to do? Is, there, is my place on the wall right here in black and white? And so pray about that. That's a practical tool you could use, and there's contact information you could call that person that could, uh, could help you get, uh, get engaged. If you don't know where to jump in, I would encourage you to take the, the bulletin, and in the bulletin, the staff are listed. And maybe you just think, well, you know, I'd like to maybe get involved in some area. Maybe you know it's children or young people or, and reaching outside the walls of church. So call one of our staff. We would love to try to help you discern what that is. Call us. We want to serve you. So if there is a way that we could be helpful to you. Or Sunday morning, you're already here. Jump in on Sunday morning. Do something. Start with something, uh, something that you're already here doesn't take some extra time. So just pray about how you could find your place on the wall. The second thing that I would say to you as we apply this passage, like Nehemiah and his team, is that we need to take personal responsibility. You know, what do I need to do? I need to, David Culp needs to take personal responsibility. The reality, again, is that for decades, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. And no one for decades had done anything. Everybody was sitting around waiting for someone else to, someone else to do something about it. They had lived with the rubble all around them for generations. They had not taken personal responsibility until this third chapter when we see them beginning to put, uh, beginning to rebuild these walls. Crystal and I and the boys, when we were getting ready to move, really did a lot of changes and updates and things trying to get our house ready. We had a basement in the home we lived in in Middletown, Ohio, and we were trying to rip up the carpet, and Dave Dooley was here. He was there with me helping rip up the carpet. And, and the, my boys, Jacob and Caleb, they were downstairs, and we're, we got these tools, and we're ripping up the carpet. And I said to Caleb, because the dog's kind of acting funny, and I said, Caleb, can you put the dog out? I think he needs to go outside. Well, you know, we get busy, and we're working around. And finally, Caleb had gone up and, to take the dog out, and he calls me upstairs. And I go upstairs, and all over the upstairs reason the dog was acting weird, he had gotten sick. And it was all over the upstairs area, all over the carpet, and, uh, and it just smelled to high heaven. Uh, and so, you know, being the good husband that I am, I immediately went back downstairs. <laughs> Because Crystal was at the store, and she was getting some things. And so I said to Caleb, now, Caleb, do not tell your mother that I saw that, okay? <laughs> so I just kept working, and I'm ripping up carpet, and I hear the door. I hear Crystal come in, and, and I hear her kind of stomping around upstairs. And you know. And then uh, then <laughs> later on, I was talking to her, and um, I had to admit that I had, yes, I did see that prior to you coming home. I was, not worth, uh, worth, <laughs> I was not willing to take personal responsibility for the mess. Now, I got in a little trouble. Not too bad. No. Um, she was a little miffed at me. Uh, but when are we going to take personal responsibility and not just think, you know what, somebody else will clean that up. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will change the diapers. Somebody else will, somebody else will pass out the bulletin. Somebody else will uh, hammer those nails at Habitat. Someone else will do it because I've got my own agenda. We must. What did they lay down? What did they uh, lay aside for those that, during that time when they were rebuilding their wall? They laid their lives aside and took personal responsibility. We must do the same as we rebuild this wall together. The other thing I would say to us is that the big picture of our world is that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this world. Because we have this problem called sin. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. And they were thrown out of the garden. Their relationship with God was broken. And since that time in the garden, God has been on this path with this agenda to restore the relationship that he has with all of us, his creation. Part of that plan involved the city of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ, the city of Jerusalem, that was gonna be the place where Jesus Christ was going to be crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem. It was imper- all of those things, were, God had his plan laid out. It was imperative that in the Old Testament that at some point the walls of Jerusalem got rebuilt so that city could be repopulated so that Jesus could come and everything, all the prophecies that had been port- had been given about all of those things could happen. God's plan was that part of it this wall would be built and that you know it seems insignificant that some wall was important to the ultimate uh, realization that part of the plan is us coming to Christ that can only happen when the rest of this plan Gets taken care of. These people in chapter 3 did work that prepared the way for Jesus to come. We must own our responsibility. And we must make God's agenda a priority. Even if we can't see the big picture all the time. God's priority is that the kingdom be built. That the wall be built. And he wants us to be a part of that. And if I'm going to be a part of that, I must say to God, God, your agenda is my primary agenda. And I'm going to be about living my life in such a way that I can be a part of your agenda. The last thing that I would say to us, the final thing that we need to do, look at verse 20. This is kind of fun. Verse 20. Barak. Or how I pronounce his name zealously repaired another section now i don't know how he how you zealously repair a wall how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know if he's kind of skipping around while he's, he's working on the wall. I don't know if he's, he's humming. I don't know if he's singing. I don't know if he's, if he's telling jokes. Is he? I don't know what in the world it looks like to zealously repair a wall, but I kind of know what it looks like. I was at the Lakeshore football game, not this weekend, but last weekend, and there's a guy there by the name of Superfan. Have you seen the superfan at the Lake Shore? Maybe St. Joe has the same kind of guy. The super fan is this guy in shorts, and he's painted in the team colors. His face is all painted, and he's got this big flag that he runs around, and he hoops, and he hollers. That's super fan. Super fan is, is, is serving with passion, isn't he? you know what, not that I want you to strip down to your shorts and paint your chest with a big First Church logo and go running around the church, but we could use a little of that passion in the church, couldn't we? A little excitement and a little, you know, understanding that, you know, we are partnering with the living God to do some some wonderful work together to serve Him with passion, not a, oh, yeah, I got to go again and work in the nursery. Oh, yeah, I got to pass out these bulletins and they've stuffed all kind of stuff in here today and it's heavy and you know stuff falling out what do they think you know about serving him with passion as we give our lives let's be a team the word says in first peter four ten, each one of us should use whatever gifts he's received to serve others that's our call to work together as a team to build God's kingdom. First church, God has a vision for us, a vision of what he wants us to do together. And the realization is that that's not just carried out by a few staff people that we pay. God has wired up the church, the great church, God's vehicle to bring his message to a lost world. I love the church. The vehicle is the church, not just the clergy. And the church is made up of individual members, each that have been equipped to do works of service, serving one another, serving our Lord. Now, notice this morning that this nice wall that we've had over the past several weeks is torn down. I want you, if you are on the left side, my left, or your, my right, your left, if you're on the left side of the pew, look under your seat and get, there's a brick. I want everybody to take that brick. If you're, on the, if you're on the far side, I want you to take the brick. You got a brick if you're on the far, now if, you, if you're not on the end, then be a leader and go down and get the brick, okay? By with me? There's a brick right there. So there, there should be a brick, somebody should be holding all on the outside of the wall over there, should be a brick right here, everybody got your brick? You guys got your brick? Lex, you got your brick? All right, pay attention up here. All right. I want you to take the brick, and I want you to consider. We're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions. I want you to pass the brick down the aisle. We're gonna, here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, if our worship team come, up, come back up. As they're coming up, I want you, in just a minute, we're going to stand, and I want you to take the brick and hold the brick and just for a minute or two, just consider the weight of that brick, which reminds you of the weight of responsibility that you have to build the wall. Do we have them up in the balcony as well? No, I'm sorry. Okay. Imagine with us. The weight of responsibility that each of you has on the wall. And as you then... Consider that and talk to your Lord about, to our God about, about what your part of the wall is. What does God want you to do to build the wall? What is, where are you going to put your brick? Where are you going to put your time? Where are you going to invest in the wall? And as you consider that for a few minutes, then pass it to the next person, to the next person. And the person at the end, if you'll just put it back in the, uh, down underneath the pew, as we conclude. But in the concluding moments of this service, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to do that as we stand. As we stand, I want you to consider what your part of the wall is. And as you take this brick, maybe you say, you know what? I don't have a part. And I would just ask you to begin a dialogue with God about what He wants you to do to build this wall with us, the First Church team. Let's stand this morning. Heavenly Father, God, as we consider this wall that you have for us to build, and as we hold this brick in our hands as a physical reminder of what you have called us to do, Father, speak to us. I pray that you would encourage us to be reminded of how important what we do in this body and in this community, in this world is. And Father, your plan, we might have done it a different way, but your plan was that you would use us and equip us to take the gospel, the wonderful good news about Jesus Christ to our world. Father, use us. We give our lives to you, and we say to you, show us what part of the wall you want us to build. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So as we sing, hold and consider what your part of the wall is, and then pass it to the next person, and then when it gets to the end, just lay it down as we worship our Lord together. Us as a church, and your part on the team. Now there's a lot of fun when it comes to being on a team. There's no solo players. We all need to be a part. And I'm excited about getting to know you, helping you, and the staff helping you to find your place so that we can begin to do some things together that in generations past, they couldn't do. Just like that wall was torn down for generations and then there stepped up a generation that decided, hey, you know what? We can work together and we can do it. So First Church, can we do it? Can we work together? Can we build His kingdom together? Amen. We're going to end, I think, worshiping. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I thank you for looking down at us and not thinking any of us are too insignificant or too unworthy. Thank you for taking us, looking at us, equipping us, gifting us, and giving us an opportunity to help you do the miraculous in this world, building your kingdom. Thank you for investing in us, Father, and help us as First Church to build your wall, your way. In the name of Christ, we pray, going out worshiping. Amen. Lord bless you.